Welcome to Dragon's Rest, a podcast about the fantasy tavern where all great adventures get their start. It's here you'll meet a wannabe hero, a misanthropic bartender, a washed-up mage, a dim-witted bard, and a braggadocious dwarf. Created by Darcy Thompson and starring a cast of talented storytellers, each week promises a fresh keg of laughter and misadventure. So come on down to Dragon's Rest. Visit dragonsrestshow.com for more. Welcome, beloved Patreon subscribers, to the first ever installment of Dice Company Extra Roll, our roundtable discussion of previous chapters of the Dice Company adventure. This week, we're going all the way back to the very beginning with Appalling Consequences, chapters one through three. My name is Tom, and today I'm joined by three heroes. Heroes, please introduce yourselves. Hi, my name is Charlie, and I play Vander Finnick. Hello, I'm Dave, and I play Benny Quez. And hello, I'm Harry, and I play everyone's favourite character, Tok. Just outrageous. Throwing in shade straight away. <laughs> Sorry, I should have said everyone's favourite hero, Tok, because, you know, see, Vanda's quite popular too. But he's no hero. He does have an image problem, I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> as mentioned, the first three chapters uh, form what I like to think of as a feature-length story, uh, which we call Appalling Consequences. And I can't help but wonder if the Appalling Consequences ended up being all the work that we put into this podcast, having released those three chapters. We've all had a chance to re-listen. Any initial thoughts from anyone? I totally nailed it. Torture in the first episode. (laughs) I mean, actually, well, you know what? Let's start there. That was a mistake, wasn't it? Would it be helpful to mention like, at what point we're recording this? I think we're about We've just released chapter 18, is that right? So we're a little way on the dice company journey. Um, so that's, yeah, that's that's how far distant we are from chapters one to three. We've all grown as people and as characters. We've done no such thing. We've learned <laughs> nothing and developed in no way. <laughs> yeah. it, was a, it was a flimsy attempt at, um, at personal growth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still like our opening scene, though. I still, I still can listen to that. I still like the initial back and forth of the characters though i I noticed that obviously we've changed a fair bit in it was since then it is but it's a nice start it's only everything until al turns up is real strong it's uh... (laughs) (laughs) wow he can't be here tonight for very important reasons and you're taking the opportunity to stab him in the eye outrageous i don't want to do it when he's here he might fight me he's scary i mean he definitely won't (laughs) I mean, since we're starting in the throwing shade department, from the beginning, Tok is evil. And I want to make that case now. There are so many indicators that he is the true psycho of the group. It's everywhere. I mean, the whole Tok is a sweetheart <laughs> thing. It's just a lie. It's just a terrible, terrible lie. Assertations without evidence there, I think. there. <laughs> well, I have evidence. <laughs> oh, please approach the bench. <laughs> if it please the uh, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. My first piece of evidence is after the rather sickening and maybe ill-conceived torture scene that Vanda orchestrates, the person in question, the guard, is left bound. And when we're deciding what to do, one of the group, a six foot eight imposing automaton, decides that we should kill a bound man. 
He's the only person, not even Van der Goes there. Tot quietly suggests that we should off this defenseless person. That 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 happened. <laughs> what say you? He then also uh, suggested that we should use him in a, uh, a ruse de guerre. Oh, that that totally. Your place in heaven is now assured. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, my my thinking on this was that um, Tot wasn't feeling terribly merciful towards Bounders, particularly. Yeah. He's, he's not really, uh, as, as I think he does, as he says in a later episode, he's quite new to the ways of violence. So I don't think he really understands the whole like distinction between uh, a, a bound or sleeping enemy and one that's uh, fighting. Playing as a quite literal devil's advocate then, <laughs> your defence is twofold. It's first... Innocence. I didn't like the guy. And secondly, I'm new to violence. <laughs> does it work? Yeah. What are the benefits of this? Well, it's kind of like it's kind of like he's he's a quite innocent character, really, isn't he? So it's uh <laughs> I mean his behaviour suggests otherwise, surely. So hashtag Tox the Sweetheart's taking an absolute hammering right now. And yet still he'll be the most popular. <laughs> Is it time for me to turn on our listenership? <laughs> Absolutely not. Now, looking all the way back to the beginning, risks highlighting how much we've changed since then. Having re-listened, how are we feeling about these chapters and our characters' performances? I think there's been a, a big change in quality, if I'm honest. I think there's bits I really like, don't get me wrong, but I certainly, I don't think, I think that my favourite episodes have happened much, much later in the campaign. Not to say that they're bad, I just think that there's, obviously there's a lot of groundwork to be done, that's certainly true. But there's also, I mean, there's, I mean, I would say if I'm talking about factors that limit our play here, I just think some of us, me included, are just not very good at D and D at this stage. There are some, there are some basic skills that just aren't present, are there? Having listened back, I found myself getting increasingly infuriated with a lot of people's behaviour, including my own. Probably my own made me the most angry for not picking you guys up on some of the truly awful play that happened. I mean, yeah, I'd agree with that. I also point out, I think it's only at the end of episode three that I finally get Augustus's name right. He's August. Yeah. Augusto. Augusto. <laughs> that does come across as a very in-character power play. So that, that kind of works. Yeah, absolutely does. It really feels like, like because Vanda certainly comes across as someone who really doesn't seem to give a shit about the people he's with. <laughs> and so calling him August and the various other variations plays perfectly. And so I actually think it <laughs> enhances the performance unbelievably. Well, that is definitely player bleeding into the character, I'm afraid. Just total <laughs> numb scullery. <laughs> and yet, despite that, despite the, the kind of, I, I would agree with you, I think, I think the quality has increased quite dramatically from then to now. I haven't asked whether or not I get a bonus action for a couple of months now, <laughs> rather than muttering it to myself after every turn in combat. Uh, the other one is the, um, do I have to do the, the move and the bonus action and the action in the same order every time? No, still no. Not from the beginning, never. My favourite one was, um, I make an observation check. Is there a chair in the room? <laughs> it's like... There's a chair. You don't need to make a check. <laughs> I'm, I'm still quite proud of that observation check. It's the highlight of the episode. <laughs> there are times in the later episodes, actually, where I make similar checks. and it, it, So I'm not, I'll defend that one. 
the fact that it's called perception and not observation does pain me every time. <laughs> I'm not done with you. <laughs> Just you wait until you run a game. I'm going to be the worst. <laughs> and yet, in amongst this somewhat infuriating behaviour from all of us, is that opening scene, which I still think holds up really well. And I'm, I'm kind of transported back to when we first recorded it. And Charlie and Dave, you two just started your conversation. And then Harry, you kind of joined in. And I was watching and thinking, have these guys rehearsed this? Because <laughs> it sounds like an in-character, full conversation. I get who the, all the protagonists are. And I forgot at the time that I had to then move the action forward. And I just sat there just erratic to be in your performance listening to us bicker yeah that it, it made sense the first of many times <laughs> it just came naturally to us yeah actually i can't think of i don't think in our many years of knowing each other whether we've ever had a crossword but in D, our characters have a totally natural friction <laughs> it was the same in the last game as well wasn't it it was our characters didn't like each other yeah, totally different characters as well a totally different friction but somehow in in the D world we are uh, polar opposites clearly and yet that's part of the charm Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. I, I've got no basis yeah, of evidence. I mean, we've not done any research into whether that's true or not. No. <laughs> no, exactly. We just assume it is and roll on with our lives. Uh, there was a recent Twitter comment, wasn't there? Or X comment, or whatever, saying, um, I love this podcast of people who, uh, was it, despite all the evidence, are apparently good friends. Absolutely nailed it. Exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a hard-won friendship built out of a group of people incapable of love. Despite the, the the rules and learning the game issues, the acting, talking character stuff was like there right from the beginning. Even Al, who like clearly was the least confident of us jumping into the game because he's never played any kind of RPGs or never, anything before once. ever. Never. No, no experience. No, <laughs> literally never. never. I know he struggled to find Augustus's place in the team, but he still nailed the acting as Augustus like from the first minutes. And I think also it's one of those things isn't it? when you when you rewatch you know proper stuff and you watch the pilot episode and and then look sort of fifteen episodes later the characters have changed fairly significantly it's not uncommon at all is it you start kind of broad you kind of work out a bit more about how your character thinks and feels and refine it as you go yeah, it was cunning of us to leave so much room for improvement very smart <laughs> thought that one through. Uh, do you know, uh, yeah, and I think the first episode also does, shows another another thing that we have to then work out in later episodes, which is our characters come from such different ethical standpoints. We very quickly get ourselves in a near complete snarl up, don't we? Horrendously so. I, in fact, it's actually quite impressive that we managed to find such disparate characters. <laughs> like, like <laughs> we've, we've plumbed the depths, but different depths. Sadly, something's gone wrong with the sorting hat, hasn't it? And, <laughs> yeah. and a Slytherin, a Hufflepuff, a Ravenclaw, and a, and a Gryffindor have just been put together. Oh, good God. I mean, okay, so... <laughs> Who's the Hufflepuff? Is that... <laughs> clearly, Panda is the Slytherin. <laughs> I'll take it. I'm, I'm going for... Hey, that's a tricky one as well, because a Paladin would naturally be Gryffindor, but that's also clearly like Benny. <laughs> I think Augustus has to be Gryffindor because they can be quite boastful as well, right? I maintain this is a story of a Slytherin leading three Hufflepuffs through the world. <laughs> <laughs> and I would argue that Benny is definitely Ravenclaw. 
for his intelligence and Tok is Hufflepuff because that's where the rest of them go. You've got heart. You are heart from Captain Planet. He's the most intelligent character. He's literally a machine. <laughs> I, I do get it though in the, in the sense that he's the, the character that through his non-humanity is the most childlike of the group. Now that, that's what I was saying with his, his unfortunate <clears throat> propensity to murder in Cold Blood is uh is is like the the non-human side of him coming through because it's I kind of wanted even from the first episode I really wanted to do the whole if I'm gonna play a character that's not a human I want them to really not be a human rather than just like do the thing of like you play a, a Star Trek style was it rubber forehead alien is the trope i tell you what mission accomplished there is no way that tok is appearing in star trek (laughs) 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 i'm trying to imagine how that would look I found it interesting, Harry, that the talk voice had not fully formed oh. in the first episodes. It feel it it sounds to my ear like you're you're still very much your voice, and you haven't quite perfected what would later become synonymous with the character of Tok. It takes me a while to get into it every single episode, especially if we miss a week, and I have like you have to do the character introduction. And I'm like, okay, gonna do the weird voice. I was doing the uh, the radio introduction things uh, for Tim, and I found that very difficult to to do the talk voice on my own without like, having the rest of the characters there for some reason. So you're saying that we inspire you? Yeah, you inspire my inhumanity. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I'll take it, you middling puff. <laughs> <laughs> Wang! <laughs> we are friends, I promise. Well, I mean, I'm not, but they're friends, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So how do you feel that your characters have changed in, since these three episodes and the later ones? Is there any any kind of conscious decisions or did they just naturally evolve as things went on? Banda's definitely softened as a character. Like, I think, obviously, yeah. with recent in our timeline stuff going on, he's definitely kind of considering people's feelings a lot more. Well, on reflection, it wouldn't have worked if he stayed at that level the whole way, would it? Never go full arsehole. Gonna just blithely step over that last bit. <laughs> yeah, no, it was part part designer was wanted that to be the case, but I certainly did have to move the dial quicker than I'd intended because there's there is a bit too much friction in the way that Vander is at the start, and it does, like we've said uh, before, it's very difficult for other players if you're going to be uncompromising in how you play your own character. You you do kind of steal all the air in the room if you are an ethical nightmare. So I had to. Yeah change that a bit the leadership vein had to be removed slightly as well weirdly since you did been a far more effective leader <laughs> like we've actually worked as a team really well with vander taking a leadership role but without insisting that he must be in charge under all circumstances i just yeah. had to turn had to had to turn the cockometer from 11 down to eight <laughs> was obviously very unnatural for me to try that but yeah no i think i think that was but that's all part of the learning isn't it yeah for sure and like the, I think that's probably true of each character. Each character had little foibles that needed to be ironed out. You can't start super subtle, can you? You've got to give the audience an impression of who the character is and where they're coming from, and, and that kind of like come out, come in big, yeah. And then even if it's not a podcast, that same thing applies to any D exactly. game. You don't want to start like you know being timid, unless that's literally the angle. 
you know, you've got a you've got a you know subtleties for later. Yeah, and you guys all come in real strong with your characters. No sarcasm, no joke. There is a very clear understanding of what each of your characters brings to the table, and then we peel back the layers as chapters go by, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, and I personally like each of the characters more in later episodes as well. There are some unlikable bits of each of the characters at the start, I think, where I'm listening, I'm going, I don't know if I actually like that. Whether you're good or evil, you can still like a character. Do you mean whether you're a good or evil person or whether it's a good or evil character, Charlie? (laughs) Where are we going with this? (laughs) A hypothetically good person. We also appreciate these characters. Yeah, this isn't a rambling apology (laughs) for my life. (laughs) This is a, uh, in character terms, but you also, in the episode, we pick up some of our first like quirks that stay with us, first in-jokes. Like when I first had soup as Vanda, that was intended to be a, a one-line. Also, Dom cut that a little bit because it was way more disgusting when you first did it in character. <laughs> like it was awful. Also, because then you did the webcam thing where it was like zooming in and out on your faces. Which, <laughs> oh, God. In real life as well, I, I, I have deep misophonia. I absolutely hate people slurping. Uh, yes. Or eating with their mouth. So it's, yeah, so it's a deep irony that my character is so appalling. <laughs> I'm going to step in very quickly here on the editing front to say that I have poured more hours into these three chapters than all the others combined. When I say chapter two was the most unpleasant editing experience of my entire life, <laughs> it started out at one hour, 57 minutes. And I somehow managed to then increase it to a little over two hours before then cutting it all the way back to whatever it is now, like an hour and ten. Where they're just interludes of you crying into the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I, I hate to think how much you've listened to our voices. <laughs> what I found amazing is that I've obviously blocked it out because when I re-listened to it again, I was like, I don't remember any of this. <laughs> <laughs> Deep in his subconscious. <laughs> that's a, that's definitely a psychological quirk. It's just too traumatic and your brain is <laughs> reacted defensively. <laughs> but yeah, it, it like these ones took, I, I would say, in excess of 25 hours each to edit. Whereas now the, the editing process is around... 12 to 15 that's still a crazy amount of time you should see how fast he is as well like the the editing speed is ridiculous in fairness i actually think all of you are really well spoken and have nice patter to your voices there are minor things as there are with everyone myself included but so the editing is not that problematic anymore uh i don't know if i have any (laughs) fuck you That's lucky I've got a list. Let me just... (laughs) (laughs) I've realised how much I repeat myself in character all the time. Oh, I I don't know if it's like buying time or what. Oh, that would be lovely. That's lovely. Yeah, I think we all have buying time (laughs) phrases, though. I like to ask, obviously, because it's part of Vander's... Question with a question. Question with a question is definitely one. And non-committal responses like interesting or you know it it doesn't give you anything does it it's just please please hold caller (laughs) i don't i mean like with talk i don't think i do the time-saving non-committal responses as much as just utterly useless responses in character that give like just intentionally not grasping the question and just running with something actually a good question how much of you is in talk (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) actually how much that's a good question for all of you how much of you is in your characters we'll start with talk but 
Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I I do also contain a large amount of Wikipedia. Uh, you you always take you always put some of yourself into any of the characters, don't you? So, I mean, like, obviously, I'm not quite as inept socially as Doc is, but uh, I, I would certainly say that I'm the uh, the geek or nerd of our uh, friendship group. It's too easy. I'm not jumping in on that. One. I was about to say, yeah, the, <laughs> the fruit is too low hanging. I'm not. There's no sport in it. It's touching the ground at this point. Well, I think when I was creating Benny, I. Um, made a conscious effort to give him characteristics that I don't have because I thought it would be more interesting. And I'm kind of mindful, actually, that when I... Um, a lot of my sort of D&D and roleplay experience is sort of video game-based. So playing video games, I have this sort of D&D... Um, what's the wonderful mechanic, I guess? So, like, I used to play a lot of, like, Neverwinter Nights and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I realised a little while ago that I always played as, like, how I imagined... I might like to be in a fantasy world. And actually it's kind of more interesting to pick a character and then make decisions or, or I don't know even if it, I don't know if it's even how I would play, but like what I think are like the best decisions that lead to good outcomes. And actually sometimes it's more interesting to pick a character and make decisions in character that, you know, are faulty are going to create problems and chaos. So I intentionally, when I was creating Benny, gave him characteristics that I don't have. So I wanted to make him the kind of person that, that goes into a room and easily chats with people and someone who doesn't back down from arguments uh, and is quite chippy. Like stuff which is very very much not me, just to mm. kind of see what it'd be like, really. But have you now taken Benny into the real world a bit? Are you a bit more chippy now? Uh, no, probably not. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, then it's all wasted, isn't it? It's all fun out. I, I was going to say it's real, real hard when we're hearing that because that's like it's one of the things that like when people play um, role playing games, that's sort of the thing. After a few games, you hear people saying, "I mean, some people just play the same character every single time and never learn." But like seeing people like take that first little like step into playing different characters is always a real heartwarming moment. Yeah, it is. And what about you, Charlie? Um, in terms of how much the character is a real reflection of me. Yeah, he always yeah. Charlie always plays himself in every single game. <laughs> <laughs> so I, a lot of so as you know, Vanda was uh, based on a character in the book I really like, Inspector Gadget, <laughs> Inspector Gadget, yeah, Morse, <laughs> Morse, Inspector Morse, Glockter, right, Glockter, yeah, Sandem Glockter, which is just like incredible blade itself, amazing book, incredible writer, but. Yeah, a lot of my reason for the choice of the character was that it was just so different from the last character. And I quite like being painted into a corner. I think it makes for a much more interesting experience of like trying to work out what you're going to do next. And Vander's movement limits almost everything he does. Also, again, this is a, weird that this took so long in our friendship group to come up. But obviously, I've done a fair bit of acting. Yes, I, which I never realised until we started playing D and D. Yeah, and um, I did a fair bit of like there's there's some voice acting, there's some other bits as well, and there's lots of stage acting in my ear. But and I, it only occurred to me when we did this that I've in what is it, fifteen to twenty years, I've never mentioned that to anyone <laughs> for twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What I like is that you did that, and then obviously you you just sat on it for fifteen to twenty years, and then an opportunity arose where you could use it, and you went. Oh, I'll mention it now. <laughs> <laughs> and you usually never miss a chance to boast. And there we go. <laughs> Just a real gap in my game. In real life, he is also insufferable.
I'd say probably there's obviously lots of banda that isn't that couldn't really be in the modern world, but I would like the I like Vander's wonder reflex. I do really like his being captured by the simple delights of life. I'm not saying necessarily that I'm great at that. I think I probably more wish that I was great at that. I think I think you're quite good at finding the wonder in the world, though. That 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 to me definitely feels like the most obvious comparison between you personally and your character. That and the torture, but that, yeah, obviously yeah. the torture. Was, uh, <laughs> Mostly psychological in the real world. <laughs> <laughs> the rest is forbidden. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so but Joe Abercrombie's writing is also obviously a big part. Who doesn't who doesn't want to play a character that they loved so much when they read about them? Yeah, um, I should point out I'm uh, now halfway through the third book. If not the if not the best fantasy books I've ever read, then equal to the best fantasy books i've ever read they're amazing i actually think as as much as i love the blade itself as well and sandman glockter and all that i just think vander has has moved away from his roots and has kind of developed his own but yes personality and character and behavior and i definitely agree like now i think you're less far less glockter than you were in the first three episodes uh definitely and it, because you develop your backstory don't you and it has to fit in with the world and like i say painted into a corner and you kind of navigate out. How about you guys? Your characters, do they have a root in something other than your own imagination? You got one, Dave? Like, just, you, you can't, where did where did the inspiration for Benny come from? Did you, like, obviously there is a, a like, um, lovable scampness to him. I didn't originally create Benny. I originally created a character called Lise Tamrace, who is like ah. a disaffected noble and part of the Tamrace family. Because Al and Charlie also had the noble background. Everyone, everyone was posh. And it just, it felt like it was going to be a bit, they were going to be too similar. Join talk in the gutter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, Benny was like a side character in the backstory I created for Leith. And then I kind of fleshed him out a bit. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I love the pivot when it happened as well. When we were talking about your character and when you like, I, I like Leith Tamrace as a character as well, but the, the change to Benny. And when I saw him fully realized when he walked in and started bickering with Vanda, I was like, Perfect. Nailed it. I'm really glad they stymied you because it, it worked out so well. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I'm also kind of a, a rare compliment from me. I'm also amazed that in regular everyday conversation, you obviously extremely courteous as a person. And it's almost shocking when you obviously play a character. You can be, you can hand someone a one-liner at lightning speed. So I assume you walk around in your everyday life doing that in your head, <laughs> just, just, just keeping it all in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if if you've got the talent for it, it's amazing. It doesn't get exercised anywhere else. You're constantly just slamming people and then just mentally n- knocking them off your list. <laughs> These three chapters are differ from the chapters that follow in that they are very much training wheels on very clearly written out kind of adventure for you guys, where you went from A to B, B to C, and back to A. And I wanted to give you guys an introduction to the world, let you guys develop your teamwork, which actually came later, 
<laughs> much, much later. <laughs> um, but how did you, as players, did it did it feel like you were basically being moved from one location to another by me, or did you feel like you were making decisions? No, 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 by Vanda. Yeah, I felt like we were being moved from place to place by, by Vanda, exactly. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> In fairness, <laughs> I did ask Vanda to, do, to take up that role to kind of... Mm. I figured we wanted to get you on the airship and out of town. Yeah, you bastards were my Rourke's drift. <laughs> no. I, it made sense having a clear path, but also it made it was it was a lot of fun, you know, being obstinate assholes. You do it so well, all of you. Good lord. There, there was actually there was a couple of bits where it was clear, like so. The um, when we went to the Bounder State, when we raided, or you know, basically, I don't know how we'd be like, rused our way into the Bounder Station. Like it was clear that that wasn't part of the plan and was kind of like on the fly. Yeah. The other thing was the the airship factory we went to. Believe I'm not sure, but I believe it wasn't originally quite as horrific in terms of child slavery, etc. And was that that was something to help Al on board because of the whole Paladin thing, right? Did it help out on board? Oh, Augustus on board, yeah. <laughs> it opened another can of worms with the Augustus character because I was trying to give him a very clear reason to fight. The, the, the Empire's evil, basically. It's like very dramatic. They're an evil empire. Not that any empire isn't evil, but you know that they're specifically a death god, like worshipping empire. Uh, but I went overboard and you guys ended up half inheriting a small group of children. <laughs> Which brought up even more problems because I was like, you kept saying, how are we going to get rid of these kids? And in my head, I'm thinking, I don't know. They shouldn't be with you in the first place. I love the lines we broke down on with like, um, or because obviously like some of the party have kids and some of the, the group have kids. Al obviously took a very different approach to the kids being set free than Charlie did. Who's <laughs> like... Well, they'll feel well. They'll they'll be okay on their own. <laughs> Did you know that I th- I figured this was going to get drawn along those lines? It's it's not it's not that I was incapable of empathising with our you know, fictitious children. Um, it was it was just that you could so clearly see that these were you know one dimensional characters that needed to disappear back into the mist. <laughs> but Banda couldn't say. Trust me, as soon as they get over that hill, they dematerialise. <laughs> So. <laughs> uh, well, that's because Al uh, Augustus was uh, was engaging with the reality of the fiction of the world we were uh, in. So you know, that's good good play from him. Though. My blackened and deeply unempathetic soul was just <laughs> incapable of making that leap. <laughs> but for instance, um, Al seemed horrified by the idea of giving even like a, what was clearly like a young teenager. Uh, a weapon and assuming they would fight dom you you're very much into like the kids are in a, a frenzy of obviously they've been you know abused treated awfully yeah. they're now exacting their re- retribution and al you could see had an entirely different mindset of uh protection you know which worked real well for his character i don't think he wasn't i do love though. i do love the some of the conclusions are great though we should hand them into the authorities <laughs> and the top just goes back into slavery yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah there's some uh it's obviously it's, it's lovely to see our struggle with the trying to get this completely impossible scenario to somehow have a have a positive resolution there's, there's a couple of other ones where i was like um at their age can they survive in the wild <laughs> and i was trying to nix the whole we can't just like abandon them <laughs> i feel like while the out that you gave us was absolutely necessary in some ways it would have been fun to see what <laughs> what happened if you didn't give us an easy i was really tempted to to have them follow you all the way to the airship and then onward from there but it just logistically i'm not 
would have worked in the sense that if they had if we'd managed to get them past the the fight with the Chad Vanguard, which we probably would have the way it worked out, we may well have done. Mm. Um Haven, the villagers of Haven would have been a natural endpoint to that. That's a real sliding doors moment though. I think if we keep the kids by episode <laughs> three, it begins with, you know, <laughs> Benny walking in tired from a long day at work saying that he hasn't got enough to support the family. Vanda <laughs> irritated while doing the dishes. Uh, probably Augustus with a drinking problem on the sofa. <laughs> playing with uh, kids in eight games. Plus, I, I, I'm trying to avoid the D&D cliche of, oh, you've just accidentally killed a child. That's happened in campaigns I've played in, and it's never a good pass to go down. Of course it isn't. And so I figured, let's just let's just get them to the cheerful septuagenarian and get them out of harm's way. I love how quick Al jumped on that as well. <laughs> did, he did not bat an eyelid, did my word <laughs> and, and we have no idea that person could have been a, you know a cannibal for all we know we did no checks at all we we're just like yep gingerbread house in you go fine see you later <laughs> all grandmothers are uh, angelic uh, uh, matriarchs <laughs> <laughs> except when they're hags <laughs> then you guys managed to fight to your first shadow vanguard or were at least were kind of introduced to your first shadow yeah, vanguard we, we outsourced it to the storm lord <laughs> you did and you hopped on your airship and took off into the skies oh by the way storm lord by the way name wise i was uh i, I pre-prepped that name i was thinking like we're just interacting as an air elemental and it took me probably about like listening back on it like five times referring to him to remember that like oh hang on i had a cool name prep for this and then, <laughs> like, finally managed to be like oh yeah it's all right he's, he's in my notes as storm lord so it your naming convention <laughs> worked congratulations i was that's a real sliding doors moment as well because I seem to. I really wanted the automatons to be on the airship because a lot. I knew a lot of my backstory was going to be around them, even though it needed some fleshing out. And I don't think Dom, you were necessarily that bothered whether they were or weren't. And I was strategizing furiously to try and keep them alive and get them on the airship. And thinking this is touch and go. This is. This I have no feelings either way. I'm just simply here to present a world. You. You abbot. Abbot. I was quite. I think once I once I realized that they were Vanders, I think I was quite keen for them not to be on the oh, airship. Oh, really? Oh. That was the kind of like Vanders in charge. It's Vanders airship with Vanders crew who are going to follow Vanders instructions. Ah. Is that why you started systematically killing them one by one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if fairness, he beat me to it. My, my plan has always been to slowly kill off the automatons in front of me, but... <laughs> But who will fly the ash? Like at one point during character creation, I literally was was chatting to Don Van. I was like, I know that Charlie was really keen for an airship. Like it's one of the first things you said about the campaign. And I was like, should I take any kind of like navigation or pilot airship skills or anything like that? And Don's like, nah, you'd be fine. Definitely don't do that. <laughs> and I was like, oh cool. I'll go with what I was originally going to do with my character then. <laughs> actually that's another thing that i've noticed that i get very attached to you know characters things you know all that sort of stuff in in the campaign and i know it's tom that you really don't i'll be saying you know out, out between episodes i'll be saying oh this is great we should definitely and you'll be like it could explode or it could disappear or this might change and i'm always i'm always on the side of no change 
I've noticed I'm always on there. But we've made this fragile world. Why change? There must always be change. Indeed. Change drives action. If you could wish for one thing in the uh, in the campaign to be different, what would it be? Ooh, that is a good question. In terms of regrets at the time, I had a lot around Sterling. And the emergency surgery. Or- yeah, I was I had a lot riding on the emergency botched surgery. <laughs> um, and yeah, that was a shame to see him fade out. It was a dramatic moment. I really, I'd been rolling so well on all of like the tools rolls. Like I literally hadn't rolled lower than 20. Uh, on any kind of like tools check thing and I, you know i get like a plus seven i think to that as as to, yeah and so I, yeah, you know what, what no one wants to hear is their surgeon has got a hot hand <laughs> <laughs> don't worry guys i've been nailing surgery all day <laughs> yeah and the one time like probably the most important actual like tools role of the campaign so far and i managed to fuck it up it's like I've been there. You sh- I should have seen that coming. You know what's really funny is that it wasn't originally Sterling uh, that it was going to be in. I was basically going to. It was going to be Lenny the dog. No, it wasn't Lenny the dog. Of course, it wasn't Lenny. The <laughs> oh, dog. his days are definitely numbered, though. <laughs> you shut up. <laughs> no, but I, I I basically put it down to it will be in the automatons if you guys could pass the because you guys did checks, didn't you? Investigation mm-hmm. checks. And so I knew that there had to be, it had to be in one of them, but I hadn't decided which one. So I based it on your roles, basically. And it just happened to be Sterling. It hit Sterling. Uh, yeah. Oh, to be fair, it it's the best one for the airship to have been named after. Like the the airship Otis, Plex, or Nozzle. None of them would have the ring of the Sterling. I think the Nozzle's got quite a ring to it. Yeah, the Nozzle. So I made a big list of airship names. This Okay, this may be my wish for the campaign. I made a big list of real cool airship names after like sci-fi spaceships and airships from fiction. It literally, like, I, I, I took literal half an hour over making that list. I believe you managed to read about half of it out as well, didn't you? Before someone went, how about Sterling? And everyone, yeah. And then everyone's like, <laughs> oh, I was like, there is is a general theme the second we try and do anything with any element of script even like a it goes off the rails immediately yeah planning we we, we're allergic to any form of planning (laughs) yes you are with the team name i read read out again a big list of team names and al and um and dave were both like oh actually one of those sounds real cool and then charlie immediately says in character i don't think we should decide now we should decide at a later date (laughs) (laughs) yeah that is accurate dom like creating the world what like inspiration did you take for obviously like there's a fantasy europe thing going on but like where did it all come from because obviously it, it started when our last campaign collapsed um how did you how did you come to like create the world for uh, for us to play? I'd spent a lot of time creating the continent of Cantioch, where you originally adventured and had all these grand plans and wonderful, interesting places for you guys to visit. And you basically never left Lumatorn in the north and then all just mm. died. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I sort of 
I pilfered a little bit from there, but I knew that you guys wanted an airship. And so I thought, and obviously we had established that there was automatons, although early stages at that point. Mm. And I knew, Harry, that you wanted to play one. So I thought I'm going to need to move technology forward quite rapidly in order to make it a little bit more steampunky. But I didn't want to go full Victorian London style because I think... I think you lose some of the medieval fantasy side of it, which I enjoy. And so it's now this this weird kind of soup, for want of a better word, of steampunk medieval fantasy kind of clashing together and the friction that's caused by the the changing world around you. But like fantasy being anachronistic is pretty normal. <laughs> yeah. And then I threw in kind of a healthy dollop of Star Wars, you know, with kind of Rojan like Jedi. The glowing red blades. <laughs> the glowing red blades. And a bit of kind of Seven Samurai in there as well, obviously, which is what inspired Star Wars in the first place. And then inspiration from TV shows like Blake Seven, Doctor Who is in there a little bit, Supernatural, the TV show, bit of Star Trek as well. And it just kind of, I've got this basically, yeah, this weird soup of pop culture references that I just spew out. The Blade itself, mm-hmm. the audiobook for The Blade itself, the narrator for that is probably the best audiobook narrator i think i've ever listened to in a, a, a book do you know who he is uh no i don't he an actor on blake seven i didn't know that quite considering they're the two main inspirations for um for uh, both of you like yeah like crossovers yeah small world i've got a couple of questions for the dm then so firstly and you're very very good at allowing people to go their own way and not trying to kind of force the story in the direction you, you'd planned. But you were also the only person who knew what our characters were going to be before we started. Where did you think it might fall down? Who, who, which character did you, did you have the most reservations about? Augustus. Immediately. Is that just because of Paladin? or I, I liked the concept of the character very much, and I thought Al would do a really good job of playing it, which he does. The, the bit that was I found quite intimidating, because I've DM'd a lot, lot of different characters you know there's not a lot that intimidates me but the idea of a pacifist paladin really scared the crap out of me because i like if you three are all in combat and he's just not in combat and won't get in combat i feel like he's then ostracizing himself by his own actions but is that fun i you know i want people to have fun and i i was really worried that his refusal to get involved in fighting would i mean you guys are not big fighters anyway so I think his character for me at the beginning was the most problematic. But each of your characters was unique and interesting, and I could definitely see situations where each of them would cause issues, I think. Um, But, you know, I trust in your guys' ability to play, and more than that, your ability to learn quickly while you're doing, which you have all done. Have we, though? (laughs) You have. I remember... um... After Tomb of the Wanderer Part One, did you send us an email or a text or something? But basically, there was a there was a message from uh, from Tom saying, "You know what you're doing. You know your characters. Start making decisions and stop spending twenty minutes discussing everything before you do it." <laughs> uh, and I think that was a, quite a useful kind of kick up the backside, really. And it feels like everyone's really taken that on board and just making kind of snap decisions in character, which occasionally lead to chaos. Not of bad kind, um, but rather than kind of like faffing about trying to work out what the optimal solution is, just kind of pick a path and going for it. Uh, at that point, it seemed to me that we were going to continue doing the podcast indefinitely, and I wasn't sure before that point. So I figured, really, don't. Well, I 
you know, you never know with these things whether it's how long it's going to last or if people get too busy in their real lives to be able to... Ah, you've met us, right? <laughs> <laughs> but at that point, I thought, right, you know, we've we've had some success in terms of listenership, which was a little bit unexpected as well. And I thought, right, we now need to make sure we need to tighten up our game and myself included. And so that's why that message went out. But I think, I think that, like I say, I think it worked really well and... There wasn't a huge amount for you guys to improve upon anyway, but you did. And that's where we ended up. There's a wider point I think it's worth making there as well about the listeners themselves. Because I've taken a fair bit of advice from just people coming on and commenting about what the show has done and the bits they like. And they have very politely knocked some of the edges off my character, which has been extremely useful because you think, okay, this, as I say, in the nicest way, you get feedback about that. Um, but about Vanda's character as well, or? Yeah, absolutely. There's been <laughs> it's such an arsehole. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Fell into the damn punji sticks on that one. <laughs> oh, sincerity. Why did you why did you leave me there? Um yeah, no, it's uh yeah, there, I I will continue on that line. Yeah. So um there there were some really is it but really nicely done, very supportively done, but also helping you out with some of the pitfalls of D&D and how to play properly or play well. The the people who listen to our podcast are are very generous and giving with their opinions. I think it's a really of all the kind of various online things I've ever done, I think this is definitely the the nicest place and I'd like the fact that everyone's just interested in hearing a really good story. There's, there's never anyone that's just saying I don't like X or anything like that. Obviously, we couldn't choose the group dynamic. That had to kind of happen on its own. And we've all learned a bit about how how things work between our characters. Knowing what you know now, and if you had to describe to someone who was just embarking on the series, which group in any series, fiction, whatever, would you compare us to? Who, who best sums it up? Okay, so someone someone came up with a suggestion a few weeks ago that I have not been able to shake out of my head, which is... You guys remind me of the crew of Red Dwarf. Son of a bitch. That's exactly <laughs> what I think. <laughs> so I originally said Star Wars. This is back back like early, early, early on. And I was like chatting to John and I was like joking about which character was who from Star Wars. Yeah, but no, you're 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 definitely more in the in the red dwarf thing. It's it's developed away from the heroic path. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a it's a group of deeply flawed people. Not really, you know. If they're heroes, that is by accident. <laughs> you know, you guys are not necessarily out and out heroes. You're just you know four flawed characters trying to do your best in a difficult situation. And of course, my first ever Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay character. Was Lister the Elf. Lister the Elf. It all comes back full circle. Uh, well, thanks for listening, everyone. That's chapters one through three. And join us next time for chapter four, Higher Than Monkeys. Ta-ta for now. Bye. We don't say over any of them. Actually, it's only Dom who says bye ever. <laughs> you guys can say goodbye. I'll add it in. Nah, not bothered. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> cool. Well, Let's just keep making a pass over no <laughs> reason then. Aloof <laughs> 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 Jesus Christ. 
fell on my run. I haven't been able to do anymore. That's lame. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even hurt yourself. Are you nursing your pride? For I've that? been crawling through soft play <laughs> today. That's an awful euphemism. <laughs> I mean, it's it's basically a giant petri dish that I had to sort of you know squeeze through. It's it's so much less fun as an adult when you understand context and hygiene. Welcome to Dragon's Rest, a podcast about the fantasy tavern where all great adventures get their start. It's here you'll meet a wannabe hero, a misanthropic bartender, a washed-up mage, a dim-witted bard, and a braggadocious dwarf. Created by Darcy Thompson and starring a cast of talented storytellers, each week promises a fresh keg of laughter and misadventure. So come on down to Dragon's Rest. Visit dragonsrestshow.com for more.